Hey, this is John from the Human Advancement Podcast, powered by Ruthless Performance. Today's episode is audio from a recent presentation I did for the Pottsville Rotary. The Rotary had requested that I come in and, and kind of talk to their organization about my past experience cycling across the country over the course of 43 days. And more broadly, I speak about how you can use your unique strengths to benefit your community. There was some video components associated with this presentation, but it was just mostly pictures. If anyone has any interest in these pictures, you could email us at info at ruthlessperformance.com um, to have access to those pictures. You could also find them all online at the Ruthless Performance Ride America Facebook page. That's where we kind of documented the entirety of the Ruthless Performance Ride America journey. I just kind of wanted to talk about using your unique strengths to benefit your community. Now, this is kind of something I thought about. It is a presentation and it's a topic well worth discussing with the Rotary just because of your, your involvement in the community. So I think, I think it's a good place to start. So I'm going to go over to um, a screen share here. So this is kind of where I started. Obviously, I went from San Francisco on the bike to, to Pottsville, Pennsylvania. This is the Golden Gate Bridge. Obviously, not not the best shot you would hope, but you know, a, uh, a foggy San Francisco day, so that kind of limits what you're able to see. But it's superb. It really is. I mean, I'm I'm not one that that has a um, a very good perception of depth. Like when I saw the Grand Canyon, I didn't think it was that big of a deal or anything. But but when you're biking across that, I have a video of me biking across it, and and it's a 10 minute long video. So I mean, that that really does kind of capture your it, it does capture your attention. So one of the things I kind of wanted to talk about was was you know strategizing and how how you might be able to to help your community and and, and I think one of the ways to think about is is the what's like what are what can you do what would you want to do in the future and what do you enjoy doing and when you could get those three to line up it just creates um, it creates a positive atmosphere I mean you're doing something good it's benefiting people and you're capable of doing it so in my case you know I, I have that that human performance background so most people wouldn't necessarily think that that's something that's capable of, of being charitable but I just utilize that to help raise money for Back and Black Dog Rescue and for Hillside SPCA. So, and I think an example of that, if you say, say for example, you're an accountant and you want to get into something like um, event planning as opposed to accounting, I, I think like a good transition in this example would be, say, doing, doing pro bono accounting work for a charity and then from there transitioning into um, hosting events for the charity. So you're kind of using what you have at your disposal in terms of skills, um, what you enjoy doing, and what you want to do in the future. And it, it just kind of makes for a good through line. Again, it just benefits everyone involved. Back to the, the pictures here. This is Carson Spur. So what was interesting about the bike ride was right off the bat, I start, I go from uh, San Francisco up into Sacramento where it's completely flat, not much elevation gain. But then the most abrupt elevation gain of the whole trip was right um, in days three and four. So right off the bat, I mean, you start off strong. Not to mention the, the actual bike ride itself was the first time that I had any kind of um, any kind of weight on the bike besides myself. So 
So between myself and my gear and the water, that bike was weighing around 300 pounds. So, so going from sea level up to Carson Spurs, probably on day four. So 8,000 feet of gain with 300 pound bike was, was quite the challenge. Are we on the Lake Tahoe picture that work? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, so I didn't, I actually did not choose the bike because I knew very little about cycling. I knew how to train and that's kind of where my background comes in. So what I did is I kind of outsourced that to DNA bikes in Tamaqua, um, which was fantastic. They knew which I should use and they said, uh, the steel frame bike, because I was able to carry more weight. See that big yellow bag I have on the back, plus the saddlebags and the water that could have crushed a, uh, that could have crushed like a, a more expensive carbon fiber bike. This is actually a touring bike. So it's designed for this. Were I to do this again, I would do it with a super lightweight bike, but not knowing what I was getting into, I wanted to use something that was more heavy duty and more industrial because I didn't know what I was going to bring, need to bring with me. So I brought all kinds of contingencies. I had a solar panel I put on the back in order to charge my phone and my GPS, things like that. So I definitely didn't travel light, but that, that's why I had the steel frame bike. And it, it held up really well, actually. The, uh, the tires you see in that picture and even the tubes within those tires are still the tubes and tires that I'm using today. So um, I guess shout out to Continental Tires because those things, those things have held up extraordinarily well over time. Quick question on that bike. Do you have shocks on the front and on your seat? No, none whatsoever. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I am interested in getting a... Uh, a Brooks saddle, it's, that's a, a leather bike seat, which kind of contours to your body a little bit better. So that, that is something that, that I've been looking into, but I have not spent much time on the bike. Like I said, last, last year, the only time I rode the bike was I did on the anniversary of the ride-in into Pottsville, I did um, 100 miles. I rode from my house in St. Clair out uh, over 209, up over that, that um, Owl Creek Road, and then up to Whitehaven and back to my house, and that was 100 miles. But that was the only time I, I rode it last year. So my need for, for bike gears has gone down pretty drastically. A, a quick point on, on this picture. So now I'm, I'm in Nevada and there is a pretty big storm on the horizon. And one of the things, as I was just kind of reminiscing through these and, and just kind of trying to put some together, I was, I was thinking about how, as opposed to focusing on, even in that day, as opposed to focusing on the storm ahead, I was just super grateful that I had that, that flat road in front of me. So I think there's, there's definitely something to be said about gratitude in these circumstances as well. But that, was, that made for a pretty nice ride, especially through that desert. This was something that was interesting. So much like right where we're from, we have the Appalachian Trail. So we have through hikers and things like that. The two primary routes I took across the country were actually touring cycling routes. So they were pretty heavily traveled. So from the San Francisco Bridge all the way until Virginia, I was on two um, bike routes. First was the Western Express and the second was the Transamerica. Uh, first went from San Francisco to Pueblo, Colorado. And the second one, the Trans Am, the Transamerica went from Pueblo to, um, and actually go, it dumps out in the Atlantic but I didn't go that far. Once I crossed over US Route 11, right around like an 81, I basically uh, went north kind of along the highway on some of the, on some of the farm roads. So I was fortunate to see a lot of people and have like a, 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 pretty, big, um, a pretty big network of success, which, which is something that I also kind of wanted to talk about, which is the idea of aligning yourself with those that have similar interests 
and, and similar goals. So in the case of, in the case of uh, DNA Bikes, who, who helped me out a lot on this, you know, they have the goal of kind of, um, you know, maximizing what they're doing for the community in terms of even just selling bikes and giving people good products that way. But here, there's this network of people along the bike route that are trying to maximize the success of each other, each rider. So he's going uh, west and I was going east when I met him in the desert. It's interesting because, you know, he could tell me as I'm heading eastbound, what restaurants to stop at, where there's water, things like that. And I could do likewise for him heading west. So part of the success of this or any operation really is just that, that element of, of finding like-minded individuals to kind of grow off of. Everyone had said, as I went through uh, Nevada, I went across Highway 50, which you might have heard, it's called the loneliest road in America. Um, but it was not all that lonely because on the eastern side of Nevada, there is Great Basin National Park. And when I was closing in on the last couple of days in Nevada, it was Labor Day weekend. So people were on that Highway 50 kind of coming from the more populated coastal California into eastern Nevada. I did, see, I did see a good amount of people along that route, but what I was not prepared for was how rural uh, Utah was. Um, that Utah really did a number on me, especially, especially in the desert. Pretty funny aside here, when, when I was in the desert, I, a bit of a coffee addict, I guess you would say. And uh, so even in, in that bike I had, I had, a, I had a camping stove and I had uh, water and I had instant coffee. And the, coffee, the instant coffee I had gotten uh, set on it for a decently strong cup of coffee, use one to two tablespoons for eight ounce cup. So I thought, well, all right, I'm, you know, kind of pushing, pushing it a little bit here. I could use a little bit of a caffeine buzz. I'll go with three tablespoons then because at three, it's just a little bit stronger, but still not too crazy. But actually I was wrong. It wasn't one to two tablespoons. It was one to two teaspoons. So instead of two teaspoons, I was using three tablespoons of instant coffee. And all the, all the while this is in the desert, I just thought I'm having this terrible reaction. These hundred degree days, they're killing me, but it actually wasn't that. It was, it was just the coffee, but I wouldn't change a thing about it though. I love that stuff. I start getting uh, a little further into uh, Utah. The roads were actually pretty rough in Utah because as opposed to um, a lot of the other roads, which are predicated on old railroad beds, so they have a, a pretty uh, gradual gradient, Utah roads were, were pretty intense. I mean, some of these roads in Utah in the desert were at like a 22% gradient, as opposed to something like um, even the Burma um, between you know Pottsville and Mono, you're looking at maybe 13% uh, grade. So it was almost double the Burma in terms of in terms of pitch um, throughout a lot of Utah. So it was it was something that that I had not necessarily prepared for and something that you, you almost can't prepare for because you know in Appalachia what do you really have in, to, to try to train for something like that this is height Utah this was the probably the loneliest part of the trip and I it was actually I think the loneliness was brought about by an event one of the things people had asked me with some regularity one of the one of the frequent questions I get is well did you fall at all and I only had three falls on the whole trip one was on the first day one was on the second to last day, and one was on this day in height. The other two falls didn't bother me. The day one fall, you know, I was all adrenaline up. I'm just starting, you know, just trying to get my, my, 
my land legs underneath me on this bike, so no big deal. What made it almost worse, all three of them were almost under the same exact situation, under the same circumstance, where it wasn't, I wasn't going too fast or anything like that. Rather, I was just going to slow down and actually downshift, um, like going up a hill, and I would downshift too fast, and the chain would fall off the bike. Oh. And with, yeah, and with the, the bike, with the shoes, the shoes actually connect into the pedal, so you can't necessarily just pull, you can't just catch yourself. I just would start going up a hill and just fall completely sideways. And that happened three times, one of which was here in, in, uh, in Utah. And I was just by myself, and that was just kind of the icing on the cake that day. And then um, this was one of the many places, almost all along the route, um, I heard coyotes, not necessarily because it was as rural as this, but just because the, I guess just the nature of coyotes and, and how they're all over the place, but just kind of camping by myself that night and the coyotes. And after that fall, I was just pretty distraught, but I think most of it was kind of behind me at that point. John, how long did the trip take you? 43 days. Yep. Um, and that was that was kind of planned. I, I've, I'd said before and I'd say it again that if I were to do this again, I could probably do it in half the time, but I would totally change the way I would do it. Carbon fiber bike, much lighter, um, not take anything with me at all except for a little bit of water and just rely a lot more on outside support like restaurants when I saw them, you know, just candy bars, things like that. So here I, I was happy to be done with with uh, Utah and make it into to Colorado. I mean, you could even kind of see my lips were pretty busted up. Nose was busted up from that sun. Uh, sun had really gotten to me. I still, to this day, you know, this was October of 2019, and I still to this day have tan lines from my bike shorts from, from Utah. So pretty pretty permanent feature of me at this point. So Monarch was the highest point in, this is where I crossed the Continental Divide. This was not the worst spot though. Everyone made me, just because of the height, people make you think it's going to be pretty bad, but it, Utah was way worse. Any of these passes over the Continental Divide happened, uh, are usually, like I said, on old railroad beds. So although I'm up at 11,300 at Monarch, you're also going at an 8% grade the whole way up. So it, it, it was pretty manageable. One of the best things about this, though, um, one of the most interesting things about being up so high is the descents. I initially, I was very hesitant on descents. I hated going fast. I, it was just, it, it was pretty scary, especially as someone that was, was not a cyclist before this. But as I got into the trip, the, the descents were something that I, I actually came to love. Um, just because it was some, it was a period of time where I wasn't, I didn't have to do any work. Just kind of had to hang on to the bike. I have videos of these descents. The video for this is a 17-minute descent. It's shaky because it's just the camera on the front of the bike, so it's all over the place. But it was nice for 17 minutes. You're you're cooking at around 40 or 50 miles per hour on downhill on this bike um, without without having to do any work, which was which was pretty pretty fantastic. Did you see any snow at that elevation? No. Um, but what's interesting about that is. So people go east to west and west to east on this trail. There, I saw more people coming west than I did other people going east because I think I was probably one of the last people to go from west to east because of the snow closing in on the Rockies at that point in September. So it was just on the cusp of it. As I had gotten out of elevation, probably two days after this, I had an interesting experience where I had one of, I had the biggest temperature change 
the biggest temperature swing in a single day. I woke up in uh, Silver Cliff, Colorado, and it was cold. I had lost my biking gloves, so my hands were completely exposed. It was uh, like below 30 degrees out, and uh, I had to just roll my hands up inside of my, my jacket in order to, to be able to cycle without just being too windburnt on my hands. Um, but then by the end of that day, I was down in Pueblo, Colorado, um, and it was in the high 90s. So I mean, it's a 70 degree temperature swing, and I still had uh, hand warmers in my pocket from the morning when it was in the 20s. The reason I asked is because we were in July in Colorado Springs, and then we drove up to Pikes Peak, yep. the same elevation, yeah, Pikes is even higher than with the pat. The thing about the pass is it's a little bit lower, so it's basically the lowest way across as opposed to going up to the highest. But yeah, Pikes is uh, that's pretty high up there. So I started making it in after after I get out of this. I have my my nice seventeen minute descent, which was fantastic. I start coming out to, to eastern Colorado is is way flatter than the western portion of the state, and then between eastern Colorado and all of Kansas, I was able to cycle 500 miles in four days. I didn't have much of a choice at that point. I had kind of messed around a little too much in the mountains and any, any room for error that I had in terms of rest days planned or little side trips that I was gonna do on the bike were kind of thrown out the window. So at this point, it was, it was just kind of crunch time in order to make it home because we had, in Pottsville, we had, um, at the Humane, we had a, a ride-in plan where there's going to be basically a basket raffle, live music, all kinds of things as, as, as more uh, fundraisers for the rescues. So there was a finite time that I had to, to kind of finish the route even as, I was, even as I was falling behind. One of the things that was interesting about Missouri was right on the eastern portion of Kentucky, almost within 100 yards of the border of Missouri, you could physically see the wall of humidity that we're so used to in the east. I mean, in the west, I didn't really have to deal with humidity at all, but it was, it was so foreign to physically see the humidity, um, which totally made the biking actually worse than it did in the west. So, you know, I thought all, all the bad was behind me and all, all, the, strength, all the struggles and everything, but, but the East actually posed its own set of, its own set of challenges that I, I wasn't necessarily accustomed to. Now, this is a picture from the Ozarks. The Ozarks aren't necessarily as high as the peaks in the West, but what the Ozarks have are uh, mountains that run north-south as opposed to east-west. So when you have mountains that run north-south, and you're trying to go east, you can't just ride along, get up to the top of a ridge and ride along the ridge. So with this, it was a constant up and a constant down, and that, that made for some more uh, struggles in the eastern side of the country than I had anticipated having. I thought it was gonna be a cakewalk from the time I hit Monarch. It made it to Kentucky at this point. Again, the, you start getting into Appalachia, which was pretty rough. Way, way worse than I thought it was going to be. This was an interesting experience. So all along the ride, there was um, there was hosts. Because I mean, because you know, this is something just like you would see with the Appalachian Trail, where there are people are exposed to people kind of coming along this trail and along this route, and people willing to help. Um, I, I would say this is one of the most serendipitous experiences of the whole trip. So this was a a church, uh, basically a church basement in Sabree, Kentucky. 
they were just super trusting people. I mean, it was just me in this whole place and they just gave me this, this entire downstairs complex to just sleep for the night and hang out. There's giant TV. It was something that's totally foreign to me considering I was, you know, spending all these nights just sleeping in the desert. Um, they had a bunch of ice cream left over from an ice cream social that they had had previous and they said, have at, they just have at it. And it was, it was remarkable. And I mean, I think I, the serendipity of these events and the things like this is kind of what, what I, what I live for when I, when I do these kind of adventures and it's it's something you know you can't you can't actively seek it out because then you won't find it but just by happenstance just with some generosity of a community you can kind of have some of the best days of your life same thing here another another awesome thing that i had access to was this warm showers program which is basically if you are a touring cyclist or someone that cycles for long distances you get to uh, either host other long distance cyclists or you could be hosted by long distance cyclists. So I had met a lady, um, this is right, this is in Virginia, right along the Shenandoah River, right off of 81. So I'm getting close to home at this point, probably four days from home. And again, just, just total serendipity and, and gratitude for, for some of these people out there. I mean, you know, we, we were so exposed on the news to um, all these negative events and things like that. But I think that there's so much, there's a through line and so much common ground between all of us from the middle of the country to the coast that, you know, there, there's more there and there's generosity and a, a greater sense of community than we're used to. So then I did the write-in on, I think it was October 6th. Um, I did it with uh, some local cyclists. I just uh, had as many people from my cycling team, which is the, the Jim Thorpers, come in and uh, do the ride-in with me. And then we had, like I said, that, that big event and we were able to raise that money for, um, we were able to raise $5,500 for each of those two rescues. So I was extraordinarily happy about that I could do that. And then, just like I said in the beginning about pivoting from, from one thing to the next, I just kind of took this as an opportunity to kind of, I guess, step my game up and, and, and do the same thing again with this paddleboard project. Um, I guess a, a, lot of, a lot of the beneficiaries of this will be on a more national level, but um, even uh, the Schuylkill Headwaters, headed by Bill Reichert out of Pottsville, they are um, they're one of the beneficiaries of the upcoming uh, of the upcoming paddleboard and, and everything, if everything goes right, I mean, instead of giving out checks for $5,000, I'll be able to give out checks for $25,000 to local charities next time. That's, that's kind of where things are. And, and that's, that's kind of how I'm, I'm looking into the future, I guess. That's a wrap on today's episode. You can find more about the human advancement podcast and ruthless performance on ruthlessperformance.com. I specifically recommend that you head to our online education tab where you can learn more about self-improvement, the physiology of performance, practices for enhanced wellness, and more. You can view all podcast episodes directly on our website at podcast.ruthlessperformance.com. I also recommend that you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter with the handle at RuthlessPerform. If you have any questions for our monthly Q&A or wanted to learn more about training with Ruthless Performance, including information on our athlete development training, injury prevention and corrective exercise protocols, personal training, or for consults or assessments, you can get in touch with us online at ruthlessperformance.com contact or via email at info at ruthlessperformance.com. The human advancement theme was written by Bernie Wallace-Savage.